This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. You think a guy named Jim Bob Cooter. Cooter, Wouldn't he be just like, he's in his 60s, he's wearing overalls, he's got a big chew in his mouth and a heavy accent. Yeah. (laughs) Jim Bob Cooter. That's what uh, (laughs) I remember Danny used to scream that out every time his name came up. He's only 38. That is too young for a man to be called Jim Bob Cooter. (laughs) Too young. It happened. He went so soon. (laughs) Such a name. Such a name. But there you go. All right. Part of the Indianapolis Colts staff out there as they assemble that. Meanwhile, uh, Brandon Marshall had uh, Marshawn Lynch and Lendale White on his I Am An Athlete pod. Boy, everybody's got a podcast. Yeah, I noticed that. I think unbelievable. If you got in early, Bob, then you're, you're doing well. Yeah. But now it's too late because everybody's got one. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even know this one existed. But uh, I am an athlete podcast. Now people text in, how did you not know that was going? Because I'm not searching. Everybody's- how about uh, I was an athlete? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's Dave Wyman's podcast. I was an athlete. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was. Uh, so he he had, uh, you know, Marshawn Lynch and Lindale White as his guests. And they had some, they got into their their conversations about Pete Carroll. Obviously, both have experience with them. Lindale with USC had a little tryout here with the Seahawks. And then obviously, Marshawn was a, a staple of what was going on out here. Uh, but they, they hit on something here, which I thought was interesting because they sort of echoed what we've heard from other guys that have been in the program, if you will, or been around Pete for any length of time. Talking about his message and talking about, you know, at one point, Richard Sherman said, oh, you know, typical Pete saying his thing, kumbaya, blah, blah, you know, sort of just dismissing it as that's just what he does. That's what he always says. Here they are kind of echoing that same thing. I don't need all of this, what you're giving to these these young guys to get them ready. You know how I'm cut. You know how I'm wired. I ain't got to say on Sunday, you know what you're going to get out of me. And then I'm going to do what I need to do to get to next Sunday. Now, let's be cool with that. But that's what, what I was said. saying. It's the same. It was so repetitive. I know it was the same. It was like no turnover Tuesday, <laughs> something Wednesday, uh, uh, something uh, Thursday. Uh, uh, but it's like that's what I'm saying. But after four or five years of this, you got vets that's be looking like, bro, I need something I else. So, yeah, this one kind of rubbed me the wrong way because, you know, first of all, after four or five years, how many coaches, head coaches last four or five years in the NFL? I mean, it's pretty good, but Not then many. I would have a hard time trying to name the coaches that didn't say the same thing. You know, I mean, it's part of your, plus he's one with it. So mm-hmm. that kind of criticism, I know we've heard that before about how the message goes stale. But, you know, to me, that's on the veteran. Remember the scene in uh, in Moneyball where Billy Bean's talking to David Justice? In the batting cage there? Yeah, yeah, he's in the batting cage, and he's like, yeah, all that stuff, that ain't for me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's telling them, that's for the young guys. Go ahead and sell that to them. But, you know, he's like, well, what do you want out of me? And he's like, here's what I want from you. I, I, I feel like, you know, Pete's – and look, it's – It'll it'll get a little bit more critical as as we go along, but nobody was going to touch Marshawn at that time when the Seahawks traded for him, you yeah, know. And Pete yeah. Pete gave him a chance, and you know, and he gave Lindell White a chance as well. So I don't know. Just the tone of it was kind of uh, kind of weird to me, but also I just you know the fact that Pete 
says the, the messaging, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you and I tell a story, if somebody's like, yeah, I've heard that story from you five times. Well, guess what? I've been here for like 12 years. Mm-hmm. So if you're paying attention, that's great. Of course, you're going to We like hear. those people. Yeah, we that love them. have been listening a long They're time. They're fantastic. <laughs> love you. Thank you. It's a compliment when you say, you told the same story. Okay, because I've told it like 12 times in 12 years. So thank you. Uh, but yeah, for Pete, I mean, you know, that... I don't know. I just I found myself getting pretty protective of Pete just because and he doesn't need it. <laughs> He's doing just fine. And I know he knows how to handle this. But I every coach has that same thing. And Pete Carroll's been at the top of the list. He was talking about turnover. Is it turnover? Turnover Thursday, Tuesday. Or was and it, well, Tuesday they didn't the are like, well, and then it's tell the truth this day and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And we've heard those things over the year. Yeah. I mean, it's it's his it's his system it's his belief system this is how he imparts his message on the young guys coming in there's turnover every single year and yeah maybe maybe he could look at it as constructive criticism go okay i need to the message is never going to change the message is going to be what it is because this is my philosophy this is what i believe in maybe i change it up a bit maybe i call it something different And by the way it's it works yeah, 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 but maybe he varies it a bit. Sure. Maybe maybe he can look at this and go, you know what, maybe they're right. Maybe I can, instead of every year, it's Tell the Truth Monday, it's Turnover Thursday, it's whatever each day is named. Maybe they rename it, or maybe they just have a different approach, but the message is still the same. I'm just going to find a new way to deliver the message, perhaps. Yeah. You know, So maybe for somebody that's been on the team a long time, maybe it does get stale. Maybe you do go, okay, I know what he's going to say here, and I know what he's going to say there. Now, Marshawn's saying, essentially, listen, I know that's not for me. I know what I need to do. He got a lot of special treatment when he was here. I don't know if how much fans are aware of what, you know, they they he was allowed a lot of latitude. A well, lot of latitude when he was here, man. One of them was not getting on the well, he wasn't allowed that because I think that was about the end of it, but yeah. he practices all week takes the reps, and then doesn't get on the bus to go to Minnesota. Yeah, and lays on the bench at halftime, you know, and they managed his back and all that. I mean, he he was he pretty much was allowed to do what he wanted yeah. when he was here. And, you know, so I don't I don't know that when he's saying that's not for me, all right, you know, but you're you're part of the team. It's for the team. And but, as, as a leader, yeah, I think there is a responsibility. You're one of the vets. You're one of the, as they say, old heads in there. Yeah, and I think Marshawn got that, and I think he did become that guy. Because, you know, remember we talked to Robert Turbin, and he said, you know, the first time around, it wasn't, you know, he wasn't super friendly and everything. But then when he came back in 2019, uh, he said, yeah, he was definitely willing to impart wisdom on the younger guys and everything. And so... Yeah, I just uh, I get a little bit uh, like I said protective and like I, like like I said before, it's not like Pete needs me to protect him. But when they start saying like every coach has the same message, and and by the way, you change the message if it doesn't work, right? It's been working. Ten of the thirteen seasons here, what he had, you know, there's a couple of overtime losses that he had in his college career. If you go back and look, that. That streak that he had was ridiculous, and mm-hmm. it could have been even more ridiculous had he had, a, I think one of them was against Washington State, and the other one was against Cal. If you take those overtime losses out of there, his his uh, winning streak just goes uh, through to an impossible number. So, yeah, it's been working. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I that part of it, like, I felt like the guy who's got the podcast, Brandon Marshall, was kind of trying to get that out of, you know, Marshawn and Lendale White. 
Yeah, it's, you know, listen, I, I think there's some validity to what they're saying in terms of yeah, maybe he does need to switch up how he delivers the message. Maybe maybe it does become rote. It becomes too routine. And maybe they tune it out, you know, some of the veterans. By the way, in, in Moneyball, David Justice didn't really seem to take that message to heart because the next scene he's in the kitchen eating cereal with, with uh, Hatterberg there and he was talking. Hatterberg's talking about how fearful he was, and what are you afraid of? He goes, "The ball being hit anywhere in my general vicinity." Yeah. He goes, "No, really." And he goes, "No, really." That's what it is. And his message: Good luck with that. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> I'm like, I thought he was going to buy in. He was going to be a guy who was going to help him along. You're going to be okay. All you need to do is this. And he just kind of laughed and went, "Good luck with that." Well, <laughs> come on, Dave. I, he was trying, though. At least it you know, seemed it, like it. it. Up to that point in the movie, like everything, he was just like. Remember when he's like. Uh, talking to the guy next to him, he's like, okay, we're done. Puts yeah. his headphones back yeah. on. I don't think he was trying at all. I think he was actually trying to help the guy there. I was like, hey, well, good luck with that. With yeah, a mouthful the, of cereal. There was no follow-up to I was waiting yeah. for him to part words of wisdom. I'm like, oh. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was well done, though, because it was like, okay, he's trying. He was a jerk up to that point. But yeah, but anyway, yeah I mean. I digress. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that movie. It. I mean, it's, it's a great movie. It's awesome. But, yeah, I just, I, I feel like, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, every coach has the same stuff they're going to do over and over and over again but you know um that's that's number one it's for you as a veteran you understand that that's for them that that's mm-hmm. for the young guys uh all right so brandon talking to these guys asks whether pete is a legendary manipulator or a good coach so is he a legendary coach or a legendary manipulator he's both for sure he said he's both. He, he, no, he's both. Because you don't. What I've learned is like that's hard. It's tough. hard to be a coach. Yeah. You dealing with so many personalities. You dealing with you dealing with fifty three people that just got millions yeah. of dollars. And then when you what is he? No, you got to give it to me. One, I can't because he, he, he knows okay. how to do it. You just seen it. To, we just seen it with our. We witnessed it this year with our own eyes. Everybody thought that the Seattle was gonna fall out. They wasn't gonna be without Russ. Huh. He made Gino believe. You see what I'm saying? Because he, he that's that. that that manipulate that's makes is. you turn into a gangster on the field. He is a psychologist. He knows so is, he a, is he a master manipulator, yeah. master coach? He's what is a psychologist. He? Oh God! He yeah, he knows something. Mind. I ain't gonna lie. that, right? What do you say? He's a Scientologist. <laughs> Was that what he called him? He was trying to say scientist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the manipulator he's a, he's part. He's a Scientologist. Yeah, I mean, and look, I, I feel like, yeah, he instills, and what I think kind of what they were saying there, he instills confidence in, in players to the point where it's gangster, Bob. He turns them into a gangster. Gangster. Gangster Scientologist. Yeah, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that part there. No, I mean, they, were, they were being very complimentary. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I thought but, that was fine. That I don't was... know. Manipulator is not like the greatest connotation as far as the word goes. But, eh, you know, I guess that's that's kind of what you're trying to do. All right. So then he, uh, Marshawn talking about whether Pete and Russ uh, benefited from the talent that was around them. Realistically, the, the running back and the defense. And we had receivers that really, like, I'm going to say change their way of thinking and playing to be able to make plays when they needed to. Russ and Pete, I feel that they was just in a, in a, in a great position to utilize and capitalize on the team that we really had. And the thing is, like, I mean, I played, against, I played with Russ, so 
I ain't going to. That, that little <laughs> good, bro. What, what did he say at the end? I missed that. I think he was giving uh, uh, Russ a compliment there. But, you know, he, he was he was talking about the running back and the defense and how, I don't, to me, I wrote down in my notes, uh, Pete and Russ were kind of riding on the coattails of those two things. So, I don't know. I just, I feel like that there wasn't a whole lot of appreciation for what Russ was doing, what Pete was doing. And, yeah. And like you said, they, they gave Marshawn a lot of leeway, definitely. Man. Yeah, that's it. I would say every coach, every quarterback takes advantage of the talent around them. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes takes advantage of having Travis Kelsey and having had Tyreek Hill there and having you know Andy Reid as your head coach and Reid takes advantage of. I, I don't. I don't even really know what that means. I know what he's trying to imply that kind of they didn't have to do as much because of all of the talent around them. Pete still has to put these guys in a position to succeed. You can have all the talent in the world, and if you don't assemble it right or you don't run the right system to feature what they do well, it's not going to matter. A lot of these teams we see that are bad or got a lot of talent on the roster, and it's like they're being asked to do things that don't fall within their skill set. That's what makes Shanahan so great out there, what he's been able to do with with Jimmy G, who's got limits to what he can do. Brock Purdy, there are limits to what he can do. But this guy is putting him in positions to succeed and help the team, and it's not just a byproduct of the talent around them. They they have to make those throws. Jimmy G and Purdy, they have to still make those throws. They still have to make those decisions. Right. It's not like, oh, well, he can just roll out there and not study because everybody around him is so great and just flip it over the middle, you'll be fine. It's not how that goes. So it, it, it seemed a little bit demeaning or sort of taking credit away from the job that Pete and, and Russ did there or how valuable they were to what this team accomplished. I, I'm not really, you know, and then the last comment, I didn't really get what he said. It sounded like he was going to give Russ a compliment, but yeah. I couldn't really hear what he said. Yeah, I think he was basically saying, yeah, he's he's gangster, Bob. He's you gangster. Know, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Russ, me making it sound so, as uncool as it possibly can sound. But, yeah, I thought, you know, that was uh, that was interesting, kind of a little bit of a, you know, compliment there to Russ. But, yeah, I, I think that. It's sort of a hangover from the time of that, you know, when everybody was so upset after that. And, you know, and really after the Super Bowl, you're after talking the about the Super Bowl 49. And, you know, Marshawn and there are some other people, too, that, that we know that maybe wanted to hear something from Pete that they never heard. Well, and here's Marshawn talking about wanting an apology after the, the loss in the Super Bowl. First time that we had a conversation was me, him, the GM, the owner. And my uh, and my agent, and then the owner's right hand man, recipes for all of mine. But the conversation, you feel me though? It, it wasn't between me and him. It was a group thing, and it was more so like where they felt, you feel me though? I would be of some assistance and getting that back was that they wanted me to holler at, you know, you me, a certain amount of individuals, the core guys. And I'm like, well, the only thing they want is they want this to be sincere with an apology to them. And if that don't happen then you're going to have some problems. So they wanted Marshawn to, I assume, go to Sherm, go to the guys that were really angry about how things turned out and try to, you know, build the build the bridges between them. And, and, and okay, I the idea that you as a head coach should apologize to your team, they call a play that didn't work. It happens all of the yeah. time. And did I like the play? No. I understood why they called it. I understood it more after they explained, here's what the Patriots did. Here's how we countered their, the, the personnel they put on the field. I understood it. I, didn't, I still don't love it. But the idea that I'm oh, sorry, guys, 
I, I should have called a play that was going to work. Well, he thought it was going to work. Bevel called the play. Cable and Pete are on the headsets. Either one of them could have said, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. We're not doing that. So it was, you know, Bevel I felt bad for because he took all, it was all him where you had the assistant head coach and Tom Cable. You had the head coach and Pete all on the headsets when that call's made where either one of them could have interjected and said, wait, what are we doing here? No, no, no. Let's, hey, time out. Let's not do this. But a lot of people say Chris Collinsworth really helped that one along. The worst call in Super Bowl history or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe he's right. I don't know. It, it yeah. was it didn't work and it was really devastating. Well, I'm not saying that, that it worked out or it was a good play because a lot of people get really very adamant about this. But what about know. the idea that, that a coach owes players apology? an apology for a play that was called? Yeah, I don't I don't understand that. I don't get that. I could I see don't. him explaining. I could see him understanding. Yeah. I, I get everybody in this room is really angry right now. Let me take you through my thought process exactly. on this. Right. The idea that he's going to, any head coach, not just Pete, but any head coach is going to come in there and go, sorry, guys, that was a stupid play call on my part. I, I just don't, I don't really see, I can see him taking ownership. Hey, guys, this yeah. is what I called based on on what the Patriots ran out there in terms of personnel. But an apology? Yeah. And also, yeah, the, you know, and a lot of people would say, well, that puts you in a, a which I would disagree in certain things. Like my mom has always told me this about my relationship with, with my wife, that apologizing for something does not put you in a position of weakness. It puts mm. you in a position of strength because you're confident enough to know that, yes, I screwed up. I don't know that that, in that situation involves that that he should apologize for it. It's it's a process that everybody put. You just said it. Everybody was on the headsets. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody tried to. Yeah, I think as you were talking through that play, the thing that bothers me the most is the personnel that they used to execute that play. Yeah, that, that they had um, throwing it to Ricardo Lockett and Curse was Curse was going the guy up against that was Browner. supposed to block really kind yeah. of take him out of it. It would just misappropriation of uh, of assets there. But no, no Doug Baldwin involved. So we we played the cut from Doug on his uh, interview with Adam Ray. Yeah, talking about well, if you're gonna do that. I want it to be me you're throwing the ball to. Yeah. With all due respect to my teammates and Ricardo Lockett, I, I don't disagree with that. Now, I don't know what their coverage was, you know, how hard it would have been to run that play with Doug, and maybe they, they were trying to catch them off guard thinking, well, they're not going to throw to Lockett. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the, the thinking was behind the personnel they used in that particular play, but I don't disagree with Doug, and I think there are things they could be upset about. And maybe Pete missed an opportunity maybe not to apologize, but to explain. Like, hey, guys, I get it. I'm as upset as you are. That is certainly not what any of us wanted or planned for. Let me explain why I was on board with this, why I thought this was a good idea. Yeah, and you know what? The other thing, too, remember they had to call a timeout after the ridiculous curse catch because yeah. they thought for sure that the Patriots were going to challenge that, Yeah, and they never did. So then they were all discombobulated offensively, and they, they didn't go out there and get everything, and they burned a timeout. Mm-hmm. They had to burn a timeout in that situation. So whereas if they had just gone up to the, to, the, uh, to the line and run a play, whatever. So, yeah, there's lots of things that you can go back and look at. You've mentioned this every time this game comes up. The, the Seahawk defense gave up a fourth-quarter lead by, what, 10 points? Yeah, double-digit lead. Yeah, so, I mean, look, there's lots of things that, if it, I don't know, I don't think anybody owes is owed an apology. Um, you know that that part, I guess, kind of bothers me. That I'm like, really, you you really think that so, he if he would have come up? So in other words, 
like that hangover that was supposedly such a huge deal would have just gone away if Pete would have just said, I'm really sorry, we made the bat the wrong call there. Yeah. And, and it probably didn't even come from Pete, right? It was probably coming from Bevel. Yeah. And no, Bevel made the call, but by all accounts, everybody, everything I've read. It falls on Pete. Yeah, Pete's the one who could have said, no, 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 yeah. Daryl, we're not doing that here. Or or Tom Cable, he's the assistant head coach. He's, you know, so, yeah, it wasn't a one-man crew, even though Bevel wore it more than anybody. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was a team effort in that scenario. And then, we, yeah, we talked about just the execution of the play was not great. And Well, and there was a stat that, like, there had been, like, 50 uh, passes thrown from the one-yard line that year. That was the only one that got intercepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then there's a little shady dealing with uh, maybe the the – Patriots knew that was coming. Something about filming a, a practice or, or something, walkthrough or something. Yeah, like that. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are all you know. Put them all together, and you get like a cup of coffee, and that's now, it. One more here from Lendale White. Uh, here he is just talking about feeling Pete owed him a phone call before he found it. He found out he was being cut, but he didn't find out from Pete. I landed here, Vegas, for Memorial Weekend. As I'm going in Memorial Weekend Hard Rock, I go to the Hard Rock and I'm looking. My name scrolling on ESPN. No way. Oh, God. I'm like, I called Drew Rosenhaus immediately. He said, oh, man, you got to call Pete. I don't know what the f- going on. Right? This is your guy from college. This is my co- I've been knowing this man for my whole, you know, this is a dude that you think that, this is how I know what kind of guy he is. Because you would think that at least, I don't give a damn, nobody owes you nothing in this game. But you would think that's somebody that you've been knowing, you know, since you were 17 years old. He knows your mom, your grandma. That you know, He sat it in your ways. living room. Real talk. So in Denver. Think- you would think there was some type of, hey, man, you ain't handling the way it is. No, I get to Vegas. I look on the thing. I'm hanging out with, you know how it is, Memorial Weekend. All the homies there. Everybody's here. Can you imagine imagine how that feels, though? Yeah, nobody owes you an apology for getting cut. I remember uh, when I got cut, or they told me they weren't bringing me back. It was by this guy named Harold, who was the assistant to the coach, which I I really could not stand him. As a matter of fact, during a game, I told him to bleep off mm. and screamed it at him. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it's it's really ugly for whoever, however it takes place. I don't think because Pete sat in his living room and knew his parents that he owed him a that, phone call. A phone call necessarily i mean i'm sure and maybe it didn't go down that way entirely i mean yeah. maybe it sounds Pete like he was call. embarrassed that hey he was with all his guys out there in vegas yeah we're all you know here's lindale nfl running back and then they all look up at the screen to see well not now he's yeah. been cut so i don't know how pete runs those kinds of things but there also could be the fact that you know maybe uh Maybe he couldn't get a hold of him or whatever because he's on the road, whatever. But I don't know. I just uh, the the whole thing kind of just entirely spiraled into this big criticism of Pete Carroll, who has had nothing but success here. And then also, look, how many guys came back this year? You know, guys that weren't necessarily friends when they left. Mm-hmm. You know, they brought Sherm back. You know, of course, Cam and Cliff, no big deal. But some of the other guys that showed up to well, support Marshawn's Pete. been back around. Sure. You yeah, know? exactly. So, yeah, it's sort of interesting. Interesting to hear their take. And some of some of it I understand and could agree with. Some of it I'm like, uh, okay, I don't, they don't know an apology. Uh, but I, I kind of get Lendale a little bit. Like, yeah, I th- yeah, I felt like I've known this guy since I was a kid. And maybe he would have at least called me and said, hey, man. 
Sorry, and he was with his make... friends and it was embarrassing. Yeah, and so all I, that. I, I kind of get that. I kind of get that. All right, coming up, there are a number of Bucks defensive players who are about to become free agents. We'll find out all about them from Greg Almond of Fox Sports. He's going to join us next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We like looking through these uh, lists of uh, potential free agents out there. We'll see who gets the franchise tag and who doesn't get it. But uh, looking at who might fit for the Seahawks, especially on the defensive side of things, as we've talked about, that was a very big problem area for this team and a man who could shed some light on some of the Potential players or potentially available players from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is with us. Uh, covers the Bucks in the NFC South for Fox Sports. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Greg Amon is with us. Greg, how are you, man? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me tonight. Hey, we we appreciate you taking some time with us. And as uh, as I just said, there Seahawks definitely need help on on defense. They've got a lot of spots we look at and go, well, that that's an opening. That's an opening, uh, but um, curious for uh, about a couple of players on on this Bucks team that would be of interest. A guy that we've talked a lot about out here. My co-host is a NFL linebacker, so his eyes are drawn to linebackers and what they do. But Levante David is a name that we've heard for a number of years, and and looks like he could be available. Um, where where is he at in his career? The only thing that keeps me from being as excited about the potential of him as I otherwise would be is the fact that he's thirty three, which in football years is an older guy where where do you where do you feel like his game is these days yeah uh probably not where he was five years ago but i think you'd say that for most 33 year old linebackers um i mean the closest parallel is probably bobby wagner i mean in terms of a guy that you know wants to show he still has it after a long run with one team um you know bucks are in tough position from a salary cap standpoint so you know he made 12 five a year on his last contract I, i don't know that they can pay him that so it's going to be a matter of whether he wants to, you know, finish his team with, you know, finish his career with one team, or, or whether he wants to get the most money he can. Um, those might not be the same thing. Yeah, was there any talk about because? And here's the the reason, and I compare him to Bobby Wagner. First of all, 27 forced fumbles in his career. Bobby had six. Uh, tackles for loss, 143. Bobby had 78. They played the same number of time, were drafted back-to-back. You know, everything else pretty comparable, but I just feel like he's such a, an attack type of guy. And do you get the, the feeling that he is one of those guys that's probably just going to finish it out there with Tampa? Because he's been willing. I mean, I remember at, at, in his, the height of his career when he got his best contract, I want to say it was half of what Bobby was making. Yeah, I mean, I think he got 5 and 50. Uh, was his big one, and then two and twenty-five after that. Yeah. So no, has that? I mean, it's one of those where you know Levante's always been kind of stuck in the same conference with Wagner and Keekley, and that's cost him. Um, I think if you look at his resume as a whole, you'd say it, it lines up as a Hall of Fame type resume. You know, yeah. on a Super Bowl team, like you said, crazy number of tackles for loss, crazy number of forced fumbles, good amount of of you know splash plays all over the place. But uh, the number of Pro Bowls is, isn't what he probably needs to get into camp. So, you know, I, I don't think he's been quite the impact player, but I mean, as a leader, as a nine-year captain, certainly had the same kind of, you know, core impact on a franchise that Bobby Wagner had. By the way, I'm looking, uh, just looking at, at, at Spotrack and things like that. It's got the, it's got the box at $55 million over the cap. Who's making all the money on that roster? Uh, Tom Brady's making a big chunk of it. The $35 million of that is Tom Brady, who's not with the team anymore. So that's just um, dead cap? You know, they, 
Yeah, there's, um, you know, they, they really did a lot of cap maneuvering the last two years to try and surround Brady with as much talent as possible and kind of maximize that window with him. Um, but the problem with that is that a lot of these contracts are, are kind of backloaded um, and, and they're paying for it now. Um, and, and again, to get out of it, they're going to have to do more of the same in terms of just, you know, putting bonuses, shifting big salaries to bonuses and shifting money to 24 and 25. Um, and it's not anything they, they can't get out of. It's just going to really limit their ability to keep their best free agents, whether it be Levante David or Jamel Dean or, or any of the other big guys they have. It's, they've got like 23 free agents, so it's a lot that they could lose. Well, Greg, we'd like the Seahawks to get something out of the NFC South because they smoked us this last year. <laughs> of all divisions, yeah. they went winless. Um, but, hey, uh, getting uh, the quarterback coach there, and I talked to somebody in Tampa recently uh, about Dave Canales coming down there. Is there uh, any talk following that that maybe Geno Smith is the guy that they bring down there? I, I really don't think so. Again, they're they're fifty five million over the cap. So to add uh, a thirty million dollar quarterback, um, there there are guys he likes here. There's guys he knows here. But you know, I, I I had talked to that at the Pro Bowl in Vegas. Not that I had talked to Geno at the Pro Bowl in Vegas, mm-hmm. and he made it seem like things were very close. So I, I don't think losing his quarterbacks coach would be that big of a, a difference maker that it would change where he wants to play. I, th- I think he knows he's got a good thing there, likes the people around him, um, and I think Seattle's in much better position to, to kind of give him the, the kind of deal he has earned uh, compared to Tampa. I mean, Tampa could do it, but for them to add a salary like Geno, they wouldn't be able to keep really any of their top free agents. So you're gutting a team just to add a quarterback, and that, that's probably not the best strategy right now. Oh, so you talked to him at the, the Pro Bowl, you said, Greg. Did, was that kind of yeah. off the record, or did you? No. Was, I, yeah. was, I mean, I, I asked him. I, I said things were, things were kind of trending in that direction. He, I think he said it'll get done is what he said. Sweet. All right. Well, we had to go all the way to Tampa to get uh, the best news we've heard so far, Greg. <laughs> hey, a couple of other names uh, as far as it pertains to uh, Buccaneer players that we saw as a top 100 free agent list that we saw. Yeah. Um, and the other two, obviously, Levante David was one of them. The other two were uh, Jamel Dean and Sean Murphy Bunting. What give us Give us a scouting report on where these guys are. Yeah, two 2019 draft picks, big parts of their Super Bowl team in 2020. Murphy Bunting had uh, picks in three straight playoff games. Dean probably the better corner this year. Um, I mean, Dean, you know, most places have him as the top corner available. So he's going to fetch, you know, 15, 17 million a year. Uh, normally you'd say the Bucks would franchise tag him. I don't, I don't think they can afford to take a, an $18 million captain on one guy. So they've got to figure out either getting him to a long-term extension at the expense of some of these other free agents or just losing him. Uh, Murphy Bunting won't be quite as expensive, but he's probably in an 8 to $10 million corner as well. Um, you know, both playmakers. Uh, Jamel Dean has a great combination of size and speed. Um, you know, he plays opposite Carlton Davis, who just got a contract last year. So they had a really good nucleus of young defensive backs, you know, back when they went to the Super Bowl, and then just they're all hitting free agency now. Hey, Greg, uh, you know, we were just talking about uh, the heartbreak of losing Super Bowl 49 to uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots. And, you know, you yeah. covered uh, covered Tom down there for a little while. Tell us uh, a little bit about his interaction. What I think a lot of people wonder what kind of guy he is. Oh, you know, it, it's funny. We, we kind of got gypped a little bit down here. In that, I mean, his big year in 2020 was the COVID year. So it was all Zooms. It uh, was an in-person interaction there. Uh, but things have kind of gotten closer to normal here in this last year. Um, you know, it's for a franchise like Tampa Bay, it's a huge thing to get somebody like Tom Brady to drop in for three years. 
Um, I think the last two years, you'd say are disappointments by his standards, but I mean, they've never won back-to-back division titles in the franchise's history. Uh, so you're talking about 47 years, and he did that the last two years. This past year, you know, to be eight and nine wasn't what he wanted or what the team wanted at all. But to kind of take a team, you know, when, when he got here, they hadn't been to the playoffs in 13 years, hadn't won a playoff game in 18 years. And then to get to the playoffs three years in a row, you know, certainly brought a relevance and a national interest that this team hasn't had, you know, since they won a Super Bowl back in 03. Greg, really appreciate you taking a few minutes with us to give us a scouting report on these guys. We'll, we'll see what happens with them, who's actually available, who's not. But we, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Oh, no problem. You guys have a good one. There you go. There's Greg Allman covers the Bucks and the NFC South, which was really problematic for the Seahawks this year for uh, Fox Sports. Still amazing. They got shut out by that division. I know, and you didn't, <laughs> was you didn't really realize it until the end. Wasn't the worst? <sighs> was it the worst division in football? Yeah. Or was the AFC South nah, with I your Tennessee Titans? South. I think it was. Well, we could argue about this again, but yeah, it was probably the NFC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd see the NFC. South. They were pretty stinky. Yeah. All right. I like up. to think it was the division with the team that you root for. That's all. <laughs> Coming up, Jared Kelnick shared a revealing piece of information about Cal Raleigh's historic home run. We'll hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. The NFL franchise tag window opened earlier today. It goes from uh, today all the way until March 7th. Teams have the ability to franchise tag players. And the big name to watch, the one everyone's kind of trying to figure out what's going to happen, Lamar Jackson. ESPN's Jeff Darlington breaks down what he thinks will happen with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. It is a big deal what the Ravens ultimately do here with Lamar Jackson. Now, they could put on one of two tags, the exclusive or the non-exclusive. I do expect the Ravens to tag Lamar Jackson, but we need to be very clear about this. That does not mean necessarily that he will play on that tag in 2023. Instead, that is a stopgap to work toward a long-term extension. I don't. It's hard to get a sense of what what's going on there. Like, are there hard feelings? Because I know Lamar's texted a couple things or tweeted a couple things or on Instagram that are kind of cryptic and. I, I don't know if he's upset or what, what's going on out there, but I, I do expect that they get it done. I think in the end, they, the deal gets done. Maybe they tag him in the meantime, just, you know, for insurance there. But I don't know. I don't know how much you've read some of the stories and some of the things he's he's written on social media or comments, but it, it feels like maybe he's not completely at peace with what's happening or how it's happening. But I it, just feel like it gets done. Doesn't doesn't seem super happy. Um, boy, he doesn't he doesn't get sacked a lot. I'll tell you that much. But he does run quite a bit, and that's something that uh, that I mean, he's had years where he's only been sacked like twenty nine times for a full season. That's pretty that's pretty amazing. I mean, at 50, 50, 55 with Russ at times. So, but I don't know how to feel about this guy. I feel like in twenty nineteen when he was All Pro and Pro Bowl that like this guy was just on top of the world and now his numbers kind of going down a little bit um, as far as injuries it really hasn't been as bad as everybody thinks you know if you you talk about um, him being a running quarterback he's been he's missed four nine games the last two seasons mm-hmm. does that seem like a lot to you I mean if you if, if he was out four games a year I feel like he's like a running back he follows that same pattern And so I think that might be some of the hesitation to pay him. 
Sweeping the dial. Jared Kelnick met with the assembled Mariners media down in Peoria the other day and a lot of general questions asked. He was also asked about where he was and how he felt during Cal Raleigh's home run. And maybe this is just me, but listen to one word he says here and see if it's any cause for concern. Oh, I'm ecstatic. Uh, I I was on deck, actually. And uh, my thought process was, uh, if he doesn't leave the yard, I'm gonna. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm glad that he he took that burden off of me, me going up to the plate. But (laughs) it was fun to watch. I mean, I think everything kind of went on pause when, when he hit that ball. And um, I just, I don't even remember the crowd's reaction. I think it was just so, it was so monumental for our team, for, for that team, especially, because they went through some ups and downs throughout the year. And uh, to see it all come together like that, especially in such a dramatic fashion, I think that's, you know, that's what we look for. He says he took the pressure off me, and then he also says they. Well, yeah, he said burden. So I don't know if that's concerning. Burden. He felt that that would be a burden to come up in that situation. Mm. But all, he said he was... talked about his mental state. So yeah, well, and he says first, like I knew if he didn't, I was going to leave the yard. Then he calls it a burden. Yeah, that's and then he says they, when referring to his team, that was the thing that's kind of. St- I don't know. You know, I always say like sometimes people are just those are things that get said. You get answer. You get asked a question. You try to answer it the best that you can, and sometimes words come out wrong. Could that possibly be it, Lefko? Yes, we all have misspoke. It was just a, a curiosity. Not me, there. of course, yeah. but I know that you and other radio <laughs> well, hosts this is have. What, we know this is what we do. We make you know all the minutia. We make a big deal about it. So the fact that he called it a burden, well, yeah, it's maybe a lot that's, of pressure. But that's what in his subconscious. Maybe yeah. that's how he felt. Maybe you, you know. There's. I don't think he's naive i think he hears if he's not listening personally people tell him what's being said about him what's being written about him he understands the spotlight and i have to say that part sucks when somebody you know when people say you know oh i i told him that or you know whatever like if you're a a friend or family don't tell the person what some idiot said on social media yeah you're well, not doing them any favors he's actually on or was because remember everybody's talking about how he wiped his i think instagram clean of anything that had to do with the mariners and that's that's what they do these days to imply uh be feeling a certain type of way about things <laughs> so he's on social media so i'm guessing he heard he, he i mean he's aware i think he knows you know he's a guy that came in with a lot of attention a lot of expectation and to this point it hasn't happened i hear they actually pipe our show through the clubhouse well, down as there. they the should. I'm sure, sure that, that makes sense. That's, that's their pump up. We love you guys. Sweeping the dial. Uh, the NBA All-Star Game, yeah, it is what it is. You know, it's not actual basketball. They don't play a lot of defense, but there's a lot of access, and it leads to some entertaining moments uh, like this one between Charles Barkley and Draymond Green trash-talking during the middle of the game. This could be a year where you see a 6-7 seed in the, in the finals, and it's not really that good. I but the cooked. That's crazy. You said that last year, but we all know you don't know what you're talking about. I didn't say that last year. No, I did not say that last year. You said it every year. You said it every year since I've been in the league. That's not true. But y'all are cooked now. Are we? Yep, y'all are done. It still leaves us far ahead of you, boss. I'm telling you, y'all are done. I have a question, but I'll, you know, let's say if Draymond was in here. I feel like Draymond won that exchange. (laughs) What's saying? We've got four titles ahead of you, boss? Yeah. That was pretty... Pretty heads up right there. I wish I could be that way. You know how, do you, do you ever get into like a little smack talking, whatever, and then you walk away and go, damn, I wish I would have said that. Yeah, you're like George Costanza. Yeah. The jerk store. Jerk store. 
No, it's Jerk Store. <laughs> I'm going with Jerk Store. What's the difference? You're their all-time bestseller. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, he, that he goes with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, I, I like Draymond Green. Maybe he's just a little bit more fresh. I do think that Charles Barkley is way funnier, though. Yeah. <laughs> You're all cooked now. You're all, yeah. They're 29 and 29, currently sitting uh, in the ninth spot in the Western Conference. So, Are they buddies off the court? I don't, or I don't, do I don't know what good? their relationship is, to be honest. I don't. It's hard to tell with Charles because he kind of busts on everybody. Yeah. But I think he's hilarious. I, I, get, I get such a kick out of him. But all right, there you go. So maybe it was real heat. Maybe they're just, you know, guys busting each other's chops. It just stood out to me because I feel like for once – he kind of got taken down a little bit by Draymond. <laughs> we'll see what the actual Charles Barkley has to say tomorrow about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we, are we having him on? Adam? In studio. Yeah, he'll be oh. in the building. Breaking news. Is he going to have a French? Dave. Is he going to have a French accent like Trout? His <laughs> Charles. His Mike Trout. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Draymond on May during the All Star game. Oh god, so good. All right, coming up, we'll get El Hombre's thoughts on the All Star game, NFL free agency, and everything else going on in the world of sports. Michael Bradley joining us next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten.